two. Um, think of someone who that you would describe as being hospitable. All right, someone that you would describe this person really embodies hospitality. When I'm around them, I'm just like, wow. Look at that generosity. So I want you just to share with somebody else who that person is and how you know that they're hospitable. Okay? My mom. Your mom. second you come in, offers me food. It's actually an offense not to eat at her. See, I'd go with... Uh, with an empty stomach ready to yeah. eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to share it in a minute. One of the people that I think of is, is a guy named Earl, and he is, he is one of the biggest introverts I've ever met. But when you're with him, his attention is fully on you, and there's no distractions. Like, it, it, it's this um, kind of this presence he creates that um, I'm here for you, and, and everything in his conversation just bends towards uh, towards you. So there, there's this attention. Um, doesn't have to serve food or anything else. It's just you're there and you know he's attentive to you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How many people said a family member? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of family members that tend to, we tend, often we tend to think of our moms all right, that's often mom's hospitable. Um, there's other people who, who it may be a neighbor or a friend. Uh, it might be a mentor or someone that they've encountered along the way. It might just be someone in the church who seems to always be inviting people over to their house, right? There's this sense of, of welcome. I want to tell, us about, uh, uh, tell you about two people who, who really have embodied hospitality for me in very different ways. One of them uh, is a lady named Fran, and Fran is almost the epitome of extrovert. Uh, she, for much of her life, was overseas uh, doing mission work, uh, mostly in Africa, and Fran uh, was a member of, my, of the church I was at in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and, and Fran uh, walked into the room. She's like, oh, hi, how are you? And, and her arms would swing to try and welcome you without actually hugging you. Uh, it was just one of those, just such delight over her face. And then she would say, oh, you've got to come to my house today. I'm having, and she would tell you four or five other people that were coming over. And she was always inviting people over. I actually got to know several immigrants who lived in her apartment complex simply because she had found out that they were living there and she would just go up to them and talk to them and invite them over. And she always had a story about other people that she had invited over. And she was like, you've got to meet them. It was this incredible outgoing. And quite honestly, I was tired after being around Fran. But it was so encouraging as well because you saw someone who, who just in many ways said, you're welcome in my presence. I don't care who you are or where you're from. You're welcome here. I want you here. Let's have food. And that was, that was Fran. Another person was Earl. Earl stands about yay tall. He's an African-American guy. Worked as a prison guard for a while. And then where I encountered him was actually when I was about 13, I delivered the paper to his house. 
had the biggest smile I have ever seen. Earl, later on in life, uh, got involved in ministry, was working at a church, and I happened to get to serve at that church as an interim youth director. So I had been delivering papers, hadn't seen him in years. This is about 10 years later. I walk into the office, and there's Earl. <laughs> and we get to meet each other again and talk. And, and Earl had this way of just making sure that you knew that when you were talking with him, you were the only thing that mattered. His hospitality wasn't so much about food or come over. This guy was a huge introvert. But when you were talking with him, you knew that he was paying attention to you. You knew that all the other things he could be doing were set aside. And he created this hospitable space just to listen to you. And you felt welcomed and you felt at home. And you could go, ah. Oh. Two very different personalities. Fram with her bubbly, outgoing self and Earl with his quiet, introverted self. And they made room for others, both in their unique ways. And it was powerful to experience this grace. And you could sense, both with Fran and with Earl, that you were somehow being wrapped into God's presence with them. That God was sitting with you. In many ways, that's what's happening in this letter. It's a generous welcome that's going out, and it's, it's being done by John. It's being modeled by John in one way, but, but he's also affirming uh, Gaius all the way through this letter, affirming him and affirming him, creating this welcoming space. John starts talking about joy. He mentions it a couple times here. It was actually mentioned in our letter last week, and it actually comes up in 1 John as well. He comes back to this theme of joy again and again. And here he makes this profound statement, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's not talking about biological children. In this letter, what he's talking about is those that he's led to know Jesus Christ, those who have come to know Christ in his community. His joy is to see them continue growing, to continue walking in the way of Christ. And it fills him with delight. There's a sense of, of his purpose, his, his real love, is that the people that he disciples would then turn around and be able to disciple others and, and have this overflowing joy come within them as well. And, and his joy, in contrast to so many things in our world today, his joy isn't about himself and what he gets. His joy gets focused on others and seeing them come to know Christ. It's a powerful reframing. It's an outward-looking joy. A joy that, that he says, I've come to know Jesus Christ. I knew him in the flesh. I walked with him. You've got to know him. And whether it's, it's a bubbliness by Fran that we hear here or a, a quiet mentoring that we hear, John's taking this posture of the real joy in life. The greatest joy is being able to see others walk with Christ. And one of the questions we might have is what does walking in the truth look like? What does it look like to walk in the truth? 
over the last couple of weeks, we've come back to this text a couple of times. It's, it's 1 John 4, 9 through 11. And I think in here we catch a, a glimpse of what walking in the truth means for John. Let me read it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Walking in the truth, the truth is really that middle sentence for John. That's the truth. That's the ultimate reality in the world. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For John, that's the heart of the gospel. It's the love God has for all of his creation, for all of his people, for all those who are made in his image. John says, this is really love. This is what is real truth. God loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to to take away those sins that have separated us from God and from each other. He's made atonement, which is a a fancy theological word for saying he made things right. Some people make a play on the spelling of that word and say it's at one meant. (laughs) It's making us one with God and each other again. Atonement. God did the work to make us right with God and right with each other. When everything was broken, when there was brokenness between people and it tore people apart and and there was anger and, and divisiveness, God stepped in. And in Jesus Christ, he made everything right again. That we could be right relationship with one another. But he doesn't stop there because you remember it's it's. His joy comes from seeing people walk in the truth. And if this is the truth, the next part is really the walking. Since God's love was to make us right with God and with each other in Jesus Christ, we also ought to love one another. What we're being put in front of us is a way that John's saying the greatest joy The greatest joy any of us will ever experience is having that reconciliation with each other in Jesus Christ. It's that experience of community with each other because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The joy that we long for in this world, the the joy that we're looking for in so many different ways, that joy is found in Jesus Christ in community with one another. It's our coming together because of what God has done where we start to experience joy in this world. I think for me, one of the things with Earl, Earl at first sight was very intimidating. He was just big and he didn't naturally smile right away. Not until he was greeting you. If you saw him walking around, he often had just kind of this this almost not quite sullen face. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of mouth was just straight, almost like he's deep in thought, but you weren't sure if he was deep in thought or if he was angry, right? And you get to sit down with Earl and talk with Earl, and you would see his eyes light up, 
and you'd see his cheeks light up and the smile light up. One of my favorite memories with Earl was, was me and another guy, Andy, who had this, this great idea to start a tutoring center out of a, a community development organization. We had done kind of analysis of the neighborhood. We realized there was a lot of kids in the neighborhood who had nothing to do after school and parents were working shift work so they were often unsupervised and we said, let's start a tutoring center. And so Andy did a lot of the background research on it and I, I figured out who we needed to talk to and we realized we should probably sit down with Earl. And so we sat down with him. And Earl talked a little, mostly just in questions, to get us to think broader than what we had thought ourselves and, and to think about the networks of people who could be impacted, but also who could be impacted by joining us. See, Earl gave a vision of not just you can do it yourself, but he gave us a vision of, of, of how we could wrap other people into this ministry so that it wouldn't just be Andy and I trying to run it. And quite honestly, within about six months, both Andy and I were out of the picture and other people were running it. Earl saw a bigger vision of how the community of God's people could all come together. And he realized some people needed to give the startup energy. And then he looked around and said, there's going to be other people who need the sustaining energy to keep this thing going. And they have different gifts than what you guys have. It was this beautiful scene of, of God's people coming together. And there was joy and delight in being able to hand it off and watch other people run with it. I came because Earl was willing to listen, that hospitable space. This emphasis that's in this letter on no greater joy really really evolves around two things. It's, it's the greatest commandment in some sense. It's finding that joy in loving God, but finding the joy as well in loving others. And so one of the questions we might bring to this is how are we going to receive God's love? How are we going to be in a place where we can continually be fed by God's love and remember that God loves us in Jesus Christ? And right along with that, we might we might say, and in response to receiving that love, how are we going to love others? We could take that type of posture, and, and quite honestly, where we'd end up if we pursued that is talking about spiritual disciplines. And we talk about the importance of prayer and reading scripture and fasting and, and doing service projects for others. But if you listen to John's words carefully, what John's describing is his no greater love or no greater joy is in seeing others walk in the truth. And so maybe we need to re reframe the questions here. And not so much of a self-focus, self how do I grow in relationship to God? But how do I help others? So how are we going to encourage others to receive God's love? How are we going to to go out of our way or, or to spend ourselves so that others can grow in their reception of God's love. And right along with that, how are we going to encourage others to share God's love? And John says the joy isn't just in yourself growing in relationship to God. The joy comes in seeing others grow in relationship to God and in loving others. This is where the working together comes in and why that interaction with Earl was so powerful for me. John writes, 
We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. John puts a, a framework here as he's talking to Gaius. He's, he's giving all sorts of thanks and affirmation to Gaius. He's saying, you're doing hospitality right. You're welcoming others the way you should. You're bringing them in. Let's continue to do that. And, and let's do that together. Let's find ways to work together so that all of us, all of us might experience this truth. In some sense, he's saying, all right, we've welcomed a group in. Great start. Who's next? Who else can we welcome in? Who else can we make room for so that they not only experience God's love, but they also have an opportunity to share God's love? You know, we're about to launch into this process, or actually we are launching into this process of of looking at new elders and new deacons. People who will serve the church in a more intense capacity of giving leadership to our congregation. And, and that's a great thing, and I want us to continue to think about who among us is being called to lead. But if we take this passage seriously, and we take John's emphasis seriously, it's not just saying who among us can leave, lead and the rest of us can kind of wipe our hands and say it's not me. Some of us may be going, Phew, it's not me. This passage is saying, how do we go around our congregation as a whole and say to each and every person, how are you going to receive God's love this year? And how can we encourage you to share God's love with someone else? Each and every person, from our youngest to our oldest. That may mean some challenges for us. How do we help someone like Tom Hageman? Many of us know Tom. Tom love the, loves the Lord. He's, he's poured his life out serving the church and serving God's people in many ways. Tom's pretty much confined to a bed now. How do we come alongside Tom and say, Tom, how do we help you love God? And how do we help you love others and share that love of God with others? And for many of us, that may just be taking Earl's posture and taking some time to sit with Tom and say, Tom, tell me why you love God and listening to his story unfold. It also means we may need to have some of us pay more attention to our youngest members and start by sitting with them in nursery or in Sunday school and children in worship or, or in other set settings and come alongside our kids and say, What's your idea about how we love God? What ideas do you have about how we can share God's love with other people? How have you experienced God's love? And asking questions of, of people who are on both ends of the age spectrum that we often blow past. How do we begin to embody these questions? This working together. So a question for us. How are we going to encourage each other to receive and share God's love? The quick answer in this text is practice hospitality. If you noticed in the text, it, it, he's saying to Gaius, John says to Gaius, you've even welcomed the brothers who are like strangers to you. Isn't that hard? I mean, think about who we invite over on Sunday afternoon or maybe even Friday night. Who do we invite over? Friends. 
Even when we walk out of this room, we're going to walk out. Some of us will go that way. Some of us will go this way. We'll walk out of this room, and, and most of us will find a nice little table in there with a beautiful purple cloth today. We'll grab our piece of cake. We'll grab our coffee. And who will we talk with? Our friends. What if instead, when we walked out there today, instead of talking to our friends, okay, we can go say happy birthday to Fred. But then after that, what if we went and found someone we don't really know or know that well, and we just sat and talked to them for a bit? People who feel like strangers to us, even in our body here, even in this congregation. Practice hospitality, welcoming even strangers, people we might not know. It goes on, in collaboration with others. That, that's this, this passage if you notice, he, he talks about Gaius, and then he's, as he's talking to Gaius, he says, but you've got to pay attention to the other guys too. There's another guy who's doing it well, and he's doing this well, and he's approved by other Christians, and, and he's approved by us. We, we know him. And even though you might not know him, we know him, and he's got a great reputation and a great heart. You guys should get to know each other. You see that? John starts pulling people together and connecting people and saying, you've got to meet each other. This is where I feel like John's kind of like Fran. Because Fran was always having people over and always saying, hey, have you met so-and-so and have you met so-and-so? And I'm like, no, no, I haven't, I haven't. And so and she's trying to connect people with each other. And John's doing that here too at the end of the letter. Pulling people together, saying in collaboration with each other. And it goes one step further. It's not just inside the church. It's not just inside this community that gathers here. We're actually called to do that across denominations, across churches. You may have heard Justin in the prayer and our elders praying each week for another church in our denomination and another church in, that's part of True City with us. And each week we offer a prayer. And it's, it's a small reminder but a tangible way of saying the body of Christ isn't just us. It's bigger than us. And we're called to work with them and come alongside each other and, and find ways in our hospitality with each other and the ways we interact with each other outside of our walls here that we can start to share the load of sharing God's love with each other. We have a, a, one of our core values. It's called servant hospitality. And this really is why we need all hands on deck, so to speak. The church is a sign and foretaste of the kingdom of God for all people to see. In other words, we're recognizing that the world is actually watching what the church does or doesn't do. Following Christ's example, we demonstrate hospitality by welcoming and enfolding those who seek a place to belong. We can do that here with us. We look for ways to welcome the stranger in our midst. But we extend ourselves as neighbors within our communities. That's beyond Sunday. How are we living this out? How are we loving others in our own neighborhoods, in the work communities, the recreational communities that we're a part of? And by pursuing justice in our city. Anybody here have all the answers to our city's problems? Anybody here have all the answers to all the problems with immigration right now? both here and in the States? No. We need each other. 
We need a community of God's people that's bigger than us to be hospitable together, to welcome people together. And as we do this, we do this so that all people may flourish through God's grace. The desire with servant hospitality is as we take up this call that we work together in such a way that our working together becomes part of sharing the gospel. That our coming alongside each other becomes part of how people see maybe God is real. Maybe God does love us. Maybe God is still involved in this world. Maybe God is doing something new. Maybe God can make me new. Imitating good. There's this brief verse towards the end. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. You know, this whole thing starts with joy. Oftentimes, when we start talking about what we're called to do, it feels like bricks being put on us. I remember when we first started attending here, several people said to me, I'm just burned out. We've done all this missional engagement in the community. We've gone out into the neighborhood. We've, we've opened up our homes. We've poured ourselves out in the neighborhood, and we're tired, and we're burnt out. It was noticeable that joy was kind of missing. And it's so easy to get, get ourselves all wrapped up in, in trying to fix things ourselves and, and make things happen ourselves and do it all under our own strength that we lose sight. The whole reason we're doing this is to say thank you, Jesus. And we lose sight of what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. And we lose sight of the joy that God gives us because it's not we who are hospitable first, but God who demonstrated his hospitality to us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Joyful people. People who get caught up in the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Tell stories. And they also listen to stories. Their language and their conversation becomes marked by stories of what God is still at work doing and of the places they long to see God work and of the dreams they have for how God will yet work. Their conversations change because they're rooted back in that story of what God has done for us. We've got a new initiative that our discipleship committee and a few others are working across, actually, a couple of our church's ministry committees. Mark and Naomi talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called the Courage Project. And the idea with this project is that you would get together with one other person three or four times over a few months, and you would sit down together and just have a cup of coffee or a conversation and say, tell me what God's at work doing in your life. And the person would share. And then the other person would come up and say, okay, I'll share with what God's been doing in my life. And you go back and forth with each other. Just for a few months, a few times, not a big onerous thing, but as a way of encouraging each other to tell these stories, to help us remember God's love for us in Jesus Christ, and to help us glimpse how God is at work in our world still today. If you're interested in that, talk to Mark or talk to Naomi. Mark, you want to wave your hand so people see you. Yeah. Talk to Mark. True City Festival is another time where we do this, and, and it's coming up March 3 and 4. 
John Perkins, who will be there, is a master storyteller. He loves to tell stories, and he draws us in. And the stories aren't focused on him. They end up being focused all the time on how God is still at work in this world and how God is making all things new because of Jesus Christ. And there's a sense of joy that wells up in you as you listen to his stories, even when he talks about the painful parts of his story. I invite you to come out to the True City Festival too, not just Friday night when Dr. Perkins is there, but on Saturday when groups of folks will be telling stories about God's joy. And then this. We're going to have a retreat. We did a retreat a couple years ago. Quite a few of us came out to it. It was a delightful time. Dr. John Bowen was there and talked to us about becoming apprentices of Jesus Christ. And it was a, a place that, that stirred a lot of conversation for many of us about what does it mean that I'm a disciple and how do I live this out? And this year, we're going to pick up on that discipleship theme again. And our discipleship committee is working and, and we're talking with Sid Helema, who used to be the chaplain at Redeemer. Sid's going to come and, and lead us through that time. So it's an opportunity, again, for us to tell stories and to listen to stories to get in those spaces where, where we start imitating what John's doing in this letter. Where he's saying, hey, Gaius, I hear great things about you. Stories are being told about God's faithfulness in your midst. And now I, I want you to tell others and bring others in and start listening to more and more stories and sharing those stories. So we'll give some opportunity during that space for storytelling together and how we begin to learn and grow as a community into the life of God's truth. For John, walking in truth comes back to that verse out of 1 John 4, and I'll, I'll put it up again. And storytelling becomes a way of entering into it, sitting down one-on-one -on -one with each other or, or across churches to begin sharing these stories of God's faithfulness. This is what we're telling. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, so often we're hesitant to tell stories. We're hesitant to, to use words of encouragement. We're so afraid of pride setting in. We're so afraid of making the story about us. Lord, help us to see how our stories, how what you have been doing in our lives tells your story and brings you glory and honor. Help us to see and help us to tell our stories in ways that points people back to you, that exposes our longing for you, that tells about the places where we're, we're struggling to follow you, and also tells about those places where your spirit has been at work and we see new life popping up. Help us to become master storytellers of your good news, that in Jesus Christ, you have atoned for all our sins and made us right with you.
and right with each other. In Christ we pray. Amen. Invite us to sing together.